Carolina, Race City, USA, the Cottle Creek Compound, as it were, right here off the Dale Earnhardt Trail, going from Mooresville to Kannapolis, and if you've ever been in Race City, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Let's just jump right into things. I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Michael Culberth. I am joined by Andrew Coates and Travis Sherrill, and we are lifelong NASCAR fans discussing everything NASCAR from A to Z. You name it, and we want to give you a bit of a fan's perspective, if you will, uh, of the sport of NASCAR. We've been to a lot of venues. We've seen a lot of things. We are very opinionated. We talk about this stuff all the time, and we said, why not share our views with the rest of the world? And, um, you know, we're just going to have, have a good time with this, and we hope that you'll enjoy it. We're going to, you know, provide some insight on things that we've done when we've been to races that may help you out and may enhance your experience at the track so it's it's a wide variety we're going to kind of keep it simple this week though and focus on what's on everybody's mind in nascar we're heading to the championship weekend guys and uh, martinsville was not disappointing it lived up to expectations man what a finish what drama and uh, we've got a lot of talk talk about so but i've introduced you I'm going to let you introduce yourselves, and then we'll jump right into Martinsville. So, to my right, Andrew Coates, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're here. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Andrew Coates, and like uh, Michael said, lived a couple of different places, but mostly here in North Carolina. I grew up a Walter fan, and then a Stewart, don't hate me, and then now pulled for Chase Elliott, but like all of the guys in the Cup Series and their talent. And we've got our resident expert on all things NASCAR, Travis Sherrill. Travis. Well, thank you, Andrew. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Blind Spotting. Uh, I'm just a huge NASCAR fan, you know. And when I say this, I'm going to sound like one of those one of those media people. Uh, but I don't have a particular driver that I root for. I simply root for stories, and we've got a lot of them uh, that we're going to touch on here tonight both uh, that happened at Martinsville and then looking ahead to the Phoenix uh, Championship weekend coming up this weekend. All right, so before we get into that, Travis, do you want to, um, you know, our listeners may be wondering, why this name Blind Spotting? Where did it come from? And, and why don't you take that one and explain how we came up with, with such a name? Thank you, Michael. Well, blind spotting is certainly an interesting name, isn't it? And for those of you NASCAR fans who are uh, loyal to the sport, and even for those of you who are maybe new to the sport, uh, spotters are a key to every NASCAR team. They sit up on the roof and they guide the driver through each and every lap of each and every race, guiding them through wrecks, helping them to make passes, clearing them uh, of cars that may be in their way, and they're also a listening ear because drivers like to vent a lot. 
So there's the spotting part. Now to the blind part. Uh, I am visually impaired myself, and so we decided to call the podcast Blind Spotting. Uh, that was courtesy of uh, Michael and Andrew. That was their idea, and I went along with it because, frankly, I think it's a great uh, t- uh, title for our podcast. Well, thank you for that explanation, and yeah, we, we all were in agreement on that, and I think it's very fitting for what we do, because a lot of the stuff, we might be going into it blind as well, not not in the literal sense, but uh, we just delve into things and just see where we end up. It's like jumping into the deep end of a pool, uh, but instead of water, it's made of chocolate pudding, and who knows where we're going to end up. We're just going to swim through the muck and the mire. We're going to have fun doing it, just like uh, you know you would if you were wrestling in a bunch of but I'm getting off topic. I'm sorry. I'm supposed to be guiding this ship. So back to Martinsville. Speaking of muddying it up, my goodness, I'm going to start with the end instead of the beginning. And I want to talk about Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick coming off the last turn. What was he thinking? What was he trying to do there with Kyle Busch? Andrew, what's your take on Harvick's move there at the end? Yeah, I think it's a little too too little too late. Um, I don't know that he said after the race he wasn't real sure that he knew exactly where everything was um, in terms of the points. I don't think that pass actually may have mattered at all. But, um, you know, you really – last corner, if you're not even up to the guy's wheel well, I don't know why you're putting the bumper bumper to the guy and spinning him out. Luckily for the 18, it didn't cost him a position. But, uh, you know, it definitely cost Harvick, I think, six or seven positions on the track. And – um, I think it just reeked to desperation. I think you just saw a guy who was panicking and just thought, you know, hey, if I can turn this guy, I don't think there was any way he thought he was going to pass him cleanly or knock him sideways. If he thought that, uh, you know, he probably just needed another lap and thought, if I don't hit him, I'm going to wish I had. And uh, I'm guessing he probably went down to the 18 hauler and explained himself. But I don't know, Travis, what do you think? You know, I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, if, if I'm a team owner, I want my driver to either fight for a championship or bring me back the steering wheel. Because I don't want him going to bed at night wondering, well, what if I had just gave him a little bump? Or what if I had knocked him out of the way? Now, it wasn't the right move, obviously, after the fact. We know that. But let's take a look at Kevin Harvick for just a second. So, he's round one of the playoffs was fantastic for him. He won at Darlington. He won at Bristol. Then we go to round two. He finished second at Vegas, 20th at Talladega, which is a crapshoot, 11th at the Roval. And by the way, that has that is his best finish since the second place finish at Las Vegas. And then he had a couple of finishes uh, in the mid-teens, a couple of 16th place finishes and a 17th place finish uh, this weekend at Martinsville. Of course, we, we all know that Martinsville is not a place that he and Rodney Childers run well at. Uh, but still, he came in with a 41-point lead and didn't get any stage points. And that proved to be uh, his, his demise and not making the championship four. Do you think it matters who's driving the car he put in the fence? Like, the, if it was, I mean, Kyle Busch, for all the people that hate him, he doesn't run into people. No, I don't, I think if it was his, I think if it was his own teammate, he would have done it. Gotcha. Um, it's, it, it just comes down, this playoff system, we've seen things 
in this playoff system that we've never seen before. By this point in the season, the championship, if, if this was if this was 2003 or before, the championship probably would have already been decided. In fact, I know that for a fact. Harvick would have already been crowned the champion. And so this was a desperation move. So why don't, I say, why don't we jump into that topic? Uh, this is the first, team, the first time I think the regular season champ has not made the finale in the current iteration of the chase. I mean, there wasn't a playoff for the first, you know, however many years. Yeah, and, and it was shocking the way it happened. I don't know who, you know, in previous years would have to go back and take a look at it. And uh, the just as Travis mentioned, the, the huge lead is just really shocking that he did not make it into the Final Four. We assumed, as everyone probably did uh, when the playoffs started, that he would be a lock for the Final Four. So if you... If you if you are the regular season champion, should you be a lock for the final four? And if you don't make it to the final four, should you be the fifth one led into the race? Um, what uh, how, how do you feel about the way the playoffs are set up? In my opinion, that sucked. What's that? Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. Does it, uh, is it a good test of who belongs in the final four? Uh, personally, I like the variety. I like how they sprinkled some road courses in there. You get, you don't have a bunch of mile and a half uh, tracks where if it had been, it would have been the Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin show. But instead, you know, we got our, not that Chase Elliott wasn't deserving of the final four, but he definitely was able to show off his skills on some of those road course type tracks, the Roval in particular, uh, and then finally got what he was looking for there at Martinsville, uh, being the first Elliott to take home that grandfather clock at Martinsville. Several close finishes for him there, and uh, by God, he, he earned his way to the Final Four. But did Kevin Harvick deserve to be there as well? I mean, we're talking about a position or two on the track after a stellar season behind the wheel. Uh, great job behind those Teams and Travis, I believe you had pointed out uh, in our pre-broadcast meeting that uh, some stats, and I want to share those with our listeners. Um, after 35 races, Kevin have, Kevin Harvick won nine of the 35 races, and the uh, one thing I want to bring out, you had here. This is this is this is a great stat, and this is coming from Travis. Harvick's nine wins come with an average finish of 7.3, which is currently tied for the best since Dale Jarrett's 6.8 average finish in his 99 championship campaign. As, uh, as a comparison, Jimmy Johnson's championship season, through all of his championship seasons, he never had a season as consistent as Kevin Harvick did. Johnson's best average finish was 9.7 in his first championship run in 2006. So again, Harvick's average finish 7.3. He will not be racing for a championship. So do we leave it the way it is? I'm not talking about the final race. I have some thoughts on the final race as we all do. But leading up to, you know, between the final race of the regular season and including Martinsville there, any changes that you guys like to implement? Travis, what do you think? You absolutely positively do not change a thing. If you take a look 
Andrew mentioned in our little introduction thing that he was a Waltrip fan back in the day. I'm going to use Daryl as an example. 1985, mm -hmm. Daryl won three races that season and won a championship. Bill Elliott won 11 races that season. Most okay. wins in a season without winning a title. So, yeah. you know, we, we talk about consistency. We talk about wins. You have to do... You can't peak too early, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I don't change a thing. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Travis. I, I think a couple other things to consider, right? First of all, you're already compensated for the fact that you won seven races in the regular season. He got 15 bonus points. He got 35 bonus points for those wins and the stage points that he got coming along with it. Um, I think of that as analogous to getting a higher seed in the NBA mm -hmm. or the NFL. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Patriots went 18-0 and lost Super Bowl. And so there's no guarantee that just because you had a great regular season. So to me, it's a question for NASCAR of what is their intent? Is the intent to reward season-long excellence or is it to reward the agility and ability to perform when the pressure's on at tracks that may not be your best? The other thing with the lead he had, and I know he had a bigger lead than some uh, have had, but most people that are going to be a regular season champ are going to have at least two or three wins. It's just the way it's going to work now with the stage racing. Number two, um, he didn't have just one bad race, and we're talking about this. Martinsville wasn't a good race, but he still, he still finished in the teens, and he got eliminated because he hadn't performed in the other two races as well. Now, there might have been some moisture on the track when he pounded the fence down at Tar Texas. Not maybe so much you could do about that, but he also could have thought ahead and said, Man, I'm not great at Martinsville. Maybe I'm going to back out of this run in the top 10 because we know this is not going to run in the full distance. I don't know. W what do you do there? Um, so, you know, that, for me, I, I agree. I, I, I think you, you leave it and you have to deal with the fact that the best team might go home. And, and to be honest, if you're NASCAR and you want headlines, Champ, regular season champ makes Final Four isn't a headline. Let me ask. Let me ask you this question to both of you, Michael. I'll start with you first. In two thousand four, the system was implemented: ten drivers, ten races. May the best man win. Okay, there were no eliminations. None of that that we have today. Do we like that better, or do we like the fact that these guys? They they they're basically running three ten or I'm sorry, yeah three three race seasons and then a one race season at the end to determine a champion. We'll get to the one race uh, at the end in a little bit. But do we like the, the 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 way that it's broken down now, or do we like it ten races? May the best man win. Well, you know the thing the the negative about the ten races was that you let's say you have your first race as a dud. Your second race is a dud. You're done. You're out of it. But now the way this is, your first race is a dud. Your second race is a dud. But that third race before that cutoff is, you win that race. Guess what happens? You move on to the next round. So I like the fact that, you know, but is that, I think there's pros and cons with that. I think it really puts some emphasis on getting a win when you need to get a win. But it also allows you to, you know, race like garbage for two races as long as you can put it together for one of those three races. So I think the one, the, the 10 races rewarded consistency over those 10 races, which I think was a pro, but it also 
you know, you could. It was very hard to make up for a, a DNF, if you would, and if you had one of the first couple races. It was really hard to rebound from that. But you can rebound from those things um, with the win. It's it's still tough. Um, I think there's pros and cons uh, to both. I like the way it's set up now. I, I'm okay with that. Um, it gives you know the best drivers a chance. Kevin Harvick had his chances. Kevin Harvick had his chances to make it to the Final Four. They didn't take full advantage of those opportunities. He had the same chances. He had a better chance than anybody else. He had a huge lead, and they just didn't get it done. They just get it, did not get it done. But take nothing away from Kevin Harvick. Regular season champion is um, nothing to uh, nothing to um, you know feel bad about. It's definitely a lot to be proud of there, and that team should be proud of what they accomplished. Um, but I'm, I'm okay with the way it is now. Um, as I, I'd like to see some changes in the final race. I don't. Um, I, I wish there were kind of some built-in incentives during the race that 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 would help make a difference in the end. Because uh, I mean, you can just hang around in the back all day and then just drive to the front and 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 finish ahead of the other drivers, and you're and you're the champ, regardless of what you did during the race, or just wait for the other three guys to wreck out, and then guess what? You're the champ. Um, I just. But anyway. Andrew, what are your thoughts comparing the, the, the 10 race format to what it is now? You mean qualify, put a new engine in it, start in the back, and win 81 races like Jimmy Johnson? <coughs> um, that's what stage racing gotten us away from, which I think is a good thing. You know, I'll, I'll, you mentioned 2004. I'll quote you what the regular season champion in 2004 said, Tony Stewart said. We all knew in Daytona when we got here that these were the rules. Because people kept asking him if he was tired of people saying, well, don't you wish you were the champion? Don't you wish you were the champion? Kevin Harvick knew the rules the day he rolled off the hauler at Daytona. They knew Martinsville was a weak point. They should have been potentially different in their strategy at Texas and Kansas. Now, you can't, you know, again, the rain was some bad luck. But, you know, again, in other sports, certain teams do well in the regular season. Mm-hmm. You know, especially baseball. If your pitchers line up wrong, you can end up losing a short series. So, sure. the other thing I like about um, about this is is that, that you've got um, if you go back and look over time, and again, I, there's probably more than Stewart's 2011, but I would imagine that if you looked at either the 10 race or the current playoff format, very few champions came out of the bottom half of that top 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would imagine that almost sure. all of them were in the top five of that 10 and then 12 when they expanded or whatever it was. Yeah. So in other words, I don't think in the old system, because if you ran 10th for 26 races, guess where you're going to run over 10 races? 10th. I mean, because that's the way the law of averages works. I like the playoffs because it gives, it matches driver talent against tracks that may or may not be in their wheelhouse. And if you're going to advance, for example, look at, and I'll close on this, for years and years and years and years, the Western Conference of the NBA had the best five teams in it. So to make the finals, you had to beat two or three of the other best teams in the league just to make it to the finals and then play the sixth best team. Mm -hmm. But those are the rules. And you cannot administer sports based on exceptionalism you have to do what, what makes sense and I, and I think NASCAR has really hit it I did not like the playoff system initially the way it is but I've really come to like it and and I think when we get to talking about it a little bit about the uh, the final race and 
I think that's the exception to me. I, I, I know it's always worked out in the Cup Series, but you know, in the Truck Series last year, Mark, Matt Crafton had an average race. A couple guys had trouble, and he ended up champion, as you mentioned. Yeah. Well, that's a good. Let's segue to that. Is there anything else we want to talk about Martinsville? There's a few. There's a few other things we can talk about, but let's maybe move on to some other topics and let's talk about that final race. Um, let's talk about some predictions for the final race. Let's start with the uh, the Truck Series. You've got Creed. Infinger, Moffitt, and Smith. Uh, what do you guys think, though? Andrew, what, what do you, how do you think it's going to turn I, I like Zane Smith. I think he's a great rookie. I've been impressed with him. Um, you know, we sometimes look at these truck drivers and go, well, they're not the next Elliott who went to Xfinity or they're not the next Logano or whatever. But, but I think Smith has driven consistently. Um, I think Infinger was a surprise. He was not going to make it on points. He only advanced because he won. Now, that doesn't take anything away from him. But I really see the two top guys as Creed and Moffitt. Uh, Moffat's been there. He's a champion. Uh, Creed has certainly been been strong of late. Uh, I could see it being be either one of those two guys. What do you think, Travis? I like Brett Moffat's experience. You know, he has a Truck Series championship. He's been there before. The one thing I will say about Sheldon Creed, he also has championship experience battling for an ARCA championship. And so you look at those two guys – it's a toss-up, but I'm going to give the advantage to Moffat, even though he only has one victory this season. I'm going to go with Creed for the record. Okay, and they're on record. I'm going to go with Creed because I think that's an awesome name. And there's no there's no Rocky in the Final Four, so Creed stands good. Just big, it's been a while since Creed won a, bi- a big-time event, so I'm going to go or, with that. Or a Grammy. Or, yes. That's that's true. That's true. That's true. We're, we're going all over the place there. Xfinity, Xfinity race. Uh, Allgaier, Briscoe, Cendric, and Haley. Sounds like a law firm and a former South Carolina governor. All right, Andrew, what do you think? I mean, I think on paper you look at the you look at the ninety eight and the twenty two. Right, uh, they've won half the races this season. Cendric uh, struggled a little of late. Um, he ran pretty well at the Roval, but the last round wasn't great. Uh, Haley, uh, you know, here's a guy who's run well in trucks. He has that one cup win. In fact, his, his career kind of mim- mimics Brad Keselowski a little bit. Uh, coming up through the series, and you know, remember Brad won at Talladega just like Haley did in an underfunded car. And, uh, I kind of like him. Um, Allgaier is, to me, kind of the mark mark of the Xfinity series. He's, you know, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. And, and uh, you know, I know it's the set, I know it's the easy pick, but I'm going to go on record and say I think Stuart Haas gets number ten. What do you think, Travis? I let me let me preface this by saying Andrew and Michael and I like each other. <laughs> uh, however, we don't. There, there's a lot of times where we don't necessarily agree with each other's opinions, and that's which okay. Is, which that's is what makes this fun. You yeah. know, that's that's It'll the whole reason. Else. That's the whole reason we're doing this. I'm going to go with Algar. You know, here's a guy who's a veteran. He's been there before. Uh, he just got a contract extension this week. He'll be back in that seven car with Brant Professional Agriculture as his sponsor for 20 races again next season. And he runs great at Phoenix. I mean, fantastic at Phoenix. So Algar's going to win the race. He's also going to win the championship. Whoa. All right. Throwing it down. I like it. Throwing it down right there. And I'm going to go with Briscoe uh, because it rhymes with Crisco and I love fried chicken. All right. Moving on to the Cup Series. 
We have Elliot, winner at Martinsville. We have Hambone Hamblin, Michael Jordan's friend. We have Lagano, the double deuce. And Keselowski, the single deuce. The blue goose, what do you think? I'm gonna just go with, let's go with Travis this time. So what do you got there? All right, well, I have analyzed this. As you guys know, I've been sending you guys notes and stats and everything the last couple of days. Uh, History would tell me to pick Chase Elliott. For those of you who are superstitious folks and uh, need a little help maybe uh, figuring out your champion, let's go back to 1988. Chase's dad, or Chase's, yeah, Chase's dad, Bill, won the Cup Series championship. What also happened in 1988? The L.A. Dodgers were the World Series champions in Major League Baseball. 1988 also saw the Los Angeles Lakers win the NBA championship. Fast forward to 2020, the LA Dodgers are World Series champions. The LA Lakers are NBA champions. Will Chase Elliott be the cup champion? I'm going to say no. Uh, I believe that Brad Keselowski will win the championship. Brad was pretty... uh, What's the word I'm looking? He was pretty adamant that he was going to win the championship after he dominated at Richmond. They're bringing the same car that they had at Richmond, mm-hmm. and Keselowski's my pick. Okay, well, yeah. I, I'm just impressed with your your knowledge and your throwback time machine, there, Doctor Peabody. Um, I am just <laughs> I cannot I I I have no words other than uh, all. Some Bill from Dawsonville. I like it, Travis. What do you think, Andrew? Well, I think you got the fan favorite. You got the sentimental favorite in Hamlin. Neither of those guys have a title. Elliot's got a lot of years in front of him, so this is his first, you know, crack at it. Uh, the other two guys are champs. Um, I think that Hamlin, obviously, his run second to 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 uh, Harvick all year, but I mean. You take Harvick out of the equation, and he's got eight wins. He's he's had a heck of a season. Um, Elliot had Elliot really struggled at Richmond. Uh, he's good at Martinsville, but that's a very different track. And he he ran okay at Bristol, um, but he didn't you know he, he did run up front. But Phoenix is a much different track. Uh, the twenty two is kind of flying under the radar. Um, I think they'll 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 be in the hunt for it, but. Uh, I kind of have to agree with Travis. I just feel like the two has just really kind of been below the radar. He's, you know, he's racing this championship the way he races a race. It's kind of like David Pearson. You look up with 10 to go and where'd he come from, you know? And, and um, I, I really think uh, as much as I'd like Elliot to win, uh, I think it's probably going to be the blue deuce. Let, right. let me just jump in real quick here, Michael. Uh, just a couple of things to keep in mind. Logano won this race in the spring. Same rules package. Same tire. Hamlin won this race last fall under a totally different rules package. So I don't think we can take much into that. In the spring, Chase Elliott sat on the pole and finished seventh. Coincidentally, the last race that we've actually had qualifying and the last race before COVID-19 struck the world. And it's interesting, too, that, you know, the guys that are, you know, 
if Hamp, if uh, Harvick had made it, you know, everybody looks at his record at Phoenix, but that was before the reconfigure. Yes. Uh, and so he's run okay, uh, but for example, Elliott was not great his first couple years, and now he's improved with the with the revisions to that track. Uh, I, I do wonder. Uh, the 22 has made a lot of enemies this year, uh, not just this year, but he's he's got a few <laughs> people that are. I also wonder if. Uh, if, if the 9 or the 11 is close enough to the 22's rear bumper, that uh, he might go for a ride in the waning laps. Uh, well, that's interesting. I, uh, you, you, ne- you never know with these guys. Keselowski's just a hard-nosed driver. He's going to find his way to the, way to the front. Elliott's talented. He's going to hang around the top 10 all day. Hamlin is uh, just like we – you look at the beginning of the playoffs, you think, okay, who, who are locks for Phoenix, Harvick, and Hamlin, Hamlin's the one that's there. I think that um, you know that that might indicate that he is ready for a championship. And I, you know, honestly, I think he may be going to this race thinking, you know, next year we're gonna have gonna have some other focus, other things I'm focused on. Uh, so I'm gonna put all I can into this race and try to go out. Uh, as if not go out, but let's be honest, he's gonna have some other things going on with Michael Jordan and uh, Bubba Wallace. And I don't know if his focus is gonna be completely on racing that car next year, so I think that this might be his year. However, however, as was alluded to, you know, Logano's going to be running around that 15, 16, 17. He's going to see old uh, Elliot up there. He's going to take him out. Then he's going to see Keselowski and say, you know what, he might be a teammate. Whoops. Oh, I just, I just nudged him in a little bit. He's going to take him out, and he's going to take him out. Logano's going to win his second title. And that's how he's going to do it. Just going to knock them off one by one, charge to the front, win it at the end. And that's what. And 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 then everyone will hate him even more than they do now. I'm joking, Logano. If you're going to listen to this, I know you are. Uh, I pulled for you at Homestead when nobody else was. I was your guy in the stands that day. So, but I think it's going to be Hamlin. I really do. I think it's just uh, kind of due for him. And. Um, with that being said, we have some interesting picks. It's going to be interesting to see how it turns out. And let's go to some other topics in the news. Oh, let's see what else. I don't know. Anything happening over at Hendrick Motorsports, Travis, that we want to discuss? Yeah, the worst-kept secret in all of NASCAR was finally announced. Uh, Kyle Larson going to go drive for Rick Hendrick in the number five car. Um what do you think about that? Any any thoughts? Any surprises about that, Andrew? We'll start with you. I think I think the only other place that was really sort of ever sort of scuttlebutted was the fourteen, and then of course when Boyer said he's retiring, uh, Hendrick hadn't announced, and I think those on the inside knew that that wasn't a possibility. But Tony Stewart had been pretty vocal that the NASCAR should reinstate Larson. He had certainly done the right things, but when Stewart made those initial comments, Larson hadn't even applied to be reinstated. So it wasn't like NASCAR was doing anything to, to penalize him. I think um, I think Chevy recognizes him as a talent. They want to keep him in the fold. I don't think they would have let him go to a Ford. So I think that was a, a, a decision. I also think that uh, they probably sat down in April, May with him and said, you know, we want to keep you. And, and this has probably been a long time coming. Uh, I do like that they're bringing out the old five again, the old Jeff Bodine, little Kyle Busch. You know, uh, be interesting to see if his uh, actions uh, off the track, uh, you know, match what he so far has said in the media. And uh, you know, everybody deserves a second chance. You know, yes, he said something terrible, and uh, 
you know, we all understand that, but, um, you know, there are certain things that all of us have said when we thought we were in our, in private and, uh, he's, he's atoned for that and tried to understand it and, you know, good luck to him. I think it's going to be very interesting, um, to have, you know, four guys 30 or younger on that team. Yeah. I mean, who, who are we to cast stones, uh, in, in our, in our glass houses? I mean, who hasn't done something that they regret? Now this was a kind of, this was a big deal, uh, nationally televised, event and uh, he used a, a racial epithet uh, towards an African-American driver. Uh, definitely something that, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know why I said it. I don't know if we'll ever really know why I said it. I don't know if he was frustrated. I don't know if he was just joking around. Who really, only, only person knows is Kyle Larson. And, you know, I don't, it's hard to take just one snippet of one day of one race and say Kyle Larson is this guy. That's unfair, um, and um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I think he's won. He's won a slew of uh, sprint races uh, in his absence, so he's a talented guy. I think he's going to come back motivated. Uh, and sometimes things happen in our lives to make us refocus on things that are important. And you know, maybe that's what Kyle needed. Maybe there's some other things going on in Kyle's life that, and he was just feeling a kind of you know, I could just kind of do anything, get away with anything. And uh, I'm living on top of the world, and, no, and nothing can touch me. Well, guess what? Uh, he got a reminder that that is not the case. We are just uh, uh, one word away, one slip up away from our from our lives, just you know, slipping right out from under us. But I mean, second chances, man. It, it's we'll see what he makes of it. I'm glad he's getting a second chance. I like to see talented, talented folks um, on the track. I think it. I think it brings the uh, the sport up, higher tides, uh, raise all boats, and uh, that's my thought on it. Travis, what do you think? I agree with everything you guys said. I do have a question though that, that I think we can we can talk about here, and that question simply is: We know who the drivers are at Hendrick Motorsports. Who's the leader at Hendrick Motorsports? Because you know, when Jeff Gordon left, when Dale Earnhardt Jr. left, there was a void there. And for a while, they truly struggled from a competition standpoint. So we've seen Alex Bowman make strides this year. Is he the leader? Is Kyle Larson, has he done enough uh, in his uh, absence, uh, time away, we'll call it? Has he done enough to be the leader? Is Chase Elliott? Uh, who's in the championship four? Is he the leader, or does it get put on young William Byron uh, next year? What What do you guys think, Andrew? I'll start with you. Yeah, I, I mean Larson's certainly the most seasoned. I think it's difficult to come into a team with three other guys and immediately be the leader. Uh, I think you saw Kurt Busch do that successfully, actually, with Larson. You know, there'd been some turnover in the one, and he came in and made they, they made that organization way better real quick. I would think that the de facto leader would be Elliot, just from performance and a, and a sort of uh, you know tenure standpoint. Is this, you know he's been in, in cut longer than the other two that are still there. I do think Bowman's made strides, but he's not as consistent. Uh, I think Hendrick Motorsports still struggles that uh, you know the forty eight probably doesn't want to get in the way. But let's be honest, guys, his performance. I mean, he's like a lot of the other guys. I'm not sure how much they're leaning on him, how much they're using him. It may be a situation where. They're going to be automatically better regardless who the leader is because the five car now is going to be providing information that's useful to those guys. We all know that these guys race every lap. That's not how Johnson grew up. 
That's not how he raced his competitors. That you know the, the, the fatigue and stamina of being his age, uh, and and also the fact that these kids now can drive a race car so stinking loose. Uh, you know, <clears throat> Larson has dirt experience, and and uh, I, I think it's going to dovetail better with what Hendrick Motorsports does. I, I do think after this year, though, I would imagine him, he and Elliot, to be at the forefront of that team. Uh, I'm not sure who the spokesperson is. None of those four guys are particularly right. outspoken. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's no guy, but you know, you look at people that have grown up over time as well. Uh, you know, Bobby Labonte was a silent leader. He he was not the vocal guy in the garage area, but. You know, at Gibbs, he was certainly the standout of the two drivers, and and that was even after Tony won a couple of championships. So, uh, what do you think, Michael? I think I, don't, I think it'll be somebody behind the scenes. I, I just don't see uh, Larson. I don't know if he's he's going to have to kind of not not when I say prove himself. I don't mean uh, on a performance, but I mean coming off of what he's just come off of. I don't think you come in and just start making a bunch of waves. And I mean, I think he's going to uh, have to prove his worth. Uh, to those guys. I think ultimately he will probably be that guy. I don't know if Elliot really has the personality for that. Um, his, uh, his, his dad was exuberant. His dad was very popular, but he wasn't one of those guys that um, he's just kind of, it, that's just not his personality. And Byron and Bowman just don't have uh, the street credit uh, yet. So I think it's probably going to be one of those, maybe a crew chief, a car chief, somebody at the shop that we don't know a lot about um, that's going to kind of be the behind-the-scenes leader until Kyle Larson is ready to take over that role, and maybe Elliott will be at some point. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. That's a. It's a great question. Great, great topic to bring up there. And Travis, to stick it back to you, you know, it's not just the forty-eight leaving, but Canals is leaving the crew, the, the pit box. Well, that that's the next point I was going to bring up. But keep in mind, now he's going to be in charge of all four teams. Right. So you know. How nice is it to know that, uh-oh, a crew chief did something he wasn't supposed to. Oh, darn, we've got a seven-time championship crew chief that we can just plug in right now, and mm-hmm. he can crew chief this car. I mean, that's what Stuart Haas has, yeah. right? With, Every time with, someone one of those guys screws up, you know, Zippy comes yeah. down on the box. You know? Yeah, Zippy's won two Xfinity races this year. Um, right. <laughs> I mean, who saw that coming? Well, you know, uh, there's a there was a topic of, that that's not really on our that that this sort of this talk of crew chiefs and success uh, brings to mind, and, and maybe we don't get into it tonight, but maybe something we get into another time is uh, you know those uh, those great crew chief driver combinations through the years and, and ranking those partnerships that one might be interesting uh one of our one of our evenings here on the podcast not tonight but definitely i think um there's a lot of and 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 with zipidelli uh doing things over at stewart haas and i think uh, chad canals is going to do a great job and i think he may be that guy for a while until one of these other one of these drivers is ready to to take over or until uh until flash gordon jeffy board comes over there and uh, takes things over from Mr. Hendrick, which, uh, you know, may not do, be too far down down the line. But, you know, Jeff wasn't really, I mean, he he was passionate about winning, but he wasn't really that guy that got in your face and, and uh, riled your cage like old Dale Sr. did. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that if you've got Jeff Gordon and Chad Knauss behind the scenes kind of running thing, I think Chad Knauss maybe might be the guy that, that does it. But maybe they do it together. I think everybody's going to bring something interesting to the table. So, but I think that 
we can definitely say that uh, Hendrick Motorsports ain't going anywhere anytime soon. So they got a got a bright future for sure. So um, let's get into maybe one or two more things um, that we have. And, and, and we mentioned Clint Boyer uh, before we jump into uh, our, our finish up here. Clint Boyer, uh, what are your thoughts on Clint Boyer? Where does he stand in the annals of racing? What is his legacy? What's his mark? What uh, do they? Uh, what do they say about? Clint Boyer, uh, when they're talking about him years from now, what what's the mark he left, uh, Travis? What what say you, man? What say you? You know, unfortunately for Boyer, the first thing that comes to mind in most people's eyes is the 2013 Richmond race. He was right smack dab in the middle of it with Michael Waltrip Racing, Martin Truex Jr. You know, Boyer. It's just. That's the first thing you think of because if you look at it, he had some success on the racetrack. He had more success in Xfinity than he did in Cup. Um, but I would say that his Cup career was underwhelming. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, I will say that I'm looking forward to the dynamic that he's going to bring to the broadcast booth. I think uh, I think that he's going to be a little more hyped up Daryl Waltrip 2.0. Um, Andrew, what are your what are your thoughts? I think he's going to end up being <clears throat> kind of like a Scott Goodyear or or one of those guys on the IndyCar side who was a yeoman driver. Uh, you know, I think he won what ten races, something like that. Uh, I think his best success came in the 07 car back when he ran for RCR, and uh, you know, yep. he just never. You know, he made the chase a couple times, but he just never put that 14 car. He never could get in the class of, of Harvick. And, uh, I mean, to be frank, I mean, really got outrun by the 10 car the last two years. Um, and, and, you know, we have to we have to give the 41 a little bit of a break this year. But, you know, Bush, I would say, was on par, if not better, a couple years before. So, um, you know, that I, I think he is a natural for the third person in that uh, booth. I mean, we... They've gotten away from the sort of crew chief driver, you know, and play-by-play -play guy. Uh, NBC rotates like seven guys through the booth, it seems like. Uh, I think he's going to be a good addition to Gordon. You know, the thing that Daryl used to bring on the Fox broadcast was a little bit of that crazy. Mm -hmm. and, and and I think Bert Boyer brings some of that crazy. Uh, you know, the, the, the banter between uh, Earnhardt and, 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 and Burton and Latark gives that kind of crazy fun feel to the broadcast. Uh, Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon are great, but I'll be honest, you know, and maybe some of it was the pandemic, but it was a little boring, you know, and, and they have a good time and they're good analysts, but I think it's going to be really, really good for Fox. Yeah, those guys are, you know, as I alluded to, Jeff Gordon is not, that you've got kind of two, you've got vanilla and French vanilla uh, right there. I like vanilla. Uh, but I like a little chocolate mixed in there every now and then. I like a little chocolate syrup and some sprinkles thrown in there to make it really interesting because uh, you kind of get tired of vanilla. I mean, but you also get tired of just eating straight, straight sprinkles. So I, need to, I think they need to bring in some, some flavor to the broadcast Sunday or the Sunday Sunday, the Sunday Sunday broadcast. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's start tying this first episode of Blind Spotting Up. Uh, team orders, team orders. So I believe we saw something about this, uh, something like this as an example 
um, with um, Eric Jones on Sunday, not uh, passing Hamlin, I believe it was. Uh, what do you think about that? Should he have just raced him hard? You know, is it is it is it okay? Does it cheapen things? Does it make it a a false result? Does it does it taint the result a little bit? Um, team orders. What? How do you feel about that? Is it good? Is it bad? Um, Travis, what are your thoughts? Well, this one surprised me, frankly, because if you look at it, Eric Jones. He shouldn't even care what happens to his Joe Gibbs Racing quote-unquote teammate. He's only a teammate for this coming weekend. So, you know, I'm surprised, and and I get it. You know, if somebody tells you to do something, you should probably do it. But here's my thing. What if that, what if Denny Hamlin and Eric Jones were battling for a win? And the the spotter came over the radio and said, hey, don't pass him. If you pass him, he's out of the playoff. I'm going to pass him. You know, it's – I think at times we get too caught up in, oh, I've got to help out my teammates. You know, NASCAR, yes, it's a team sport. But each team is its own individual entity. You know, Denny Hamlin drives for the 11 team. Eric Jones drives for the 20 team. They need to do what's best for their team and their sponsors because in the end, their success determines whether the people that they work, that work for them, get to put food on the table at night. Yeah, I'm going to agree and disagree with you here, Travis. I'm going to agree with you that I don't like them, Uh, but I'm going to disagree that NASCAR should do anything about them. And here's why I say that. Um, number one, uh, it was a, what I call a passive order. It was not a Michael Waltrip causing a caution. All he wasn't doing, all, he, he, it was just between those two cars. The other thing is in motorsport, if anybody watches F1, they banned team orders and driver coaching both a couple years ago. And all it meant was the teams just came up with a whole bunch of codes on the radio to do the same thing anyway and just not get caught. Mm. And so I I think if you try to police it, you're going to end up with it's still happening and just it's not going to be as obvious of a story. Now, that being said, it's not like they were saying, hey, Denny, the four cars nine points ahead of us, go put him in the fence. That's a different situation or or cause a caution because, you know, Denny's a lap down and he's in the lucky dog or things like that. I, again, don't like it. But, um, you know, if those orders come down from the director of competition at Joe Gibbs Racing or Chad Canales at Hendrick or wherever they come down from, uh, those crew chiefs get their paycheck from him. And uh, I can see why they do it. I don't like it. I think every guy should race for himself. But I also think we're naive. I think that, uh, you know, if, I'm surprised Eric Jones did, did what he did, that he, that he stayed patient. But uh, I don't like it. But I totally understand. And, and uh I think the only way to completely eliminate it is to eliminate teams. And you can't do that. It's not practical. Let me, is, you know, go ahead. Let me just say that it, I, I don't envy NASCAR because it puts NASCAR in an impossible position. It does. You know? Now, the, the whole Michael Walter incident, that that's something completely different. Um, but I, I don't envy NASCAR because the fan base cries for, oh, you got to do something they didn't use. 
this quote-unquote 100% rule that was put in play a couple of years ago, this does not violate the 100% rule, okay? This is, this is simply, you know, it's... It's it's difficult to, to officiate. Yeah, and, and you're right. It, we, it can't be something that is black and white. I mean, let's just say that they say, you can't give any of those orders on the track. Well, all I got to do is walk over to Derek Jones' crew chief and say, have your right rear guy drop a few lug nuts on yep. the next pit stop. I mean, so yep. so the teams are going to find a way to orchestrate. And if you look at Formula 1 or Indy, where they do a majority of, well, F1, it's all street, street and road courses, and in Indy, the majority, a lot of a teammate's job is to hold a guy up. Now, he's also doing that for his own position, right, on the racetrack. But they do all kinds of team strategies in those type of racing, and it's totally allowable. And so um, I think if you start to try and police it and dictate it, you're going to start to head down a rabbit hole, and you're going to, you're going to over-police it. I, I think the one thing in sports that reminds me of that is when they tried to start over-policing pass interference in the NFL, and they could make it reviewable and all that, and it just made the problem worse. They made that rule based on one... Uh, uh, NFC Championship or AFC Championship play, they reacted to it and it actually made the problem way worse because now everything can be challenged and everything looks like pass interference on slow motion. So uh, I, I agree. I, I think NASCAR is in a tough spot, but you know what? With the action on the racetrack this week, people will forget about it. Yeah. Right. It was good racing and, and good for viewership, good for good for us fans. Uh, and man, we we uh, we wanted to be there for sure. And uh, we have been to several Martinsville races, uh, one of our favorite tracks to go to. Uh, unfortunately, we were not chosen for tickets to that race this weekend. But I will, um, let's, let's close with this. Speaking of Martinsville, we've been to several tracks. Um, what track in person, and we'll, we'll close with this, uh, speaking of the race itself, the, the enjoyment of the racing itself, the action of the race, um, just on the on the track, not not necessarily the, the atmosphere around the track. Um, you know, we're not talking about uh, things that you see in Talladega's infield. Uh, we're talking about what you see on the asphalt going around the infield. What is your number one as far as where you've seen it in person? Um, the performance, the action on the track. If you could pick one race in your life uh, that you had one more race to go to, where would it be to see the best racing on the track? Andrew? Well, if it's racing on the track, I think it, I think it's a short track. And I think of all the ones that we've been to, uh, I, I think, I think Martinsville is going to be tough to beat. But if you're talking about atmosphere in addition to racing, Homestead was not a great track, but the championship races are really, really neat, especially you're watching the four, even if you're, your horse isn't in the race, you got four guys that are constantly moving around. You got your driver can still win the race. Uh, so I, I would say if I had to pick one, it'd probably either be the Martinsville Night Race or the Championship Race. Okay, and and the Championship Race in Homestead. Anywhere, anywhere. Okay, yeah. Gotcha, Travis. Uh, of the ones that you have been to, racing on the track, getting down and dirty, getting the most for your money with the with what's happening on the asphalt. Where do you go if you got one race to go to? At this point, I have to say Martinsville. You know, we we were there when Kenseth and Logano had mm. their little dust up. We were there when Elliott and Hamlin had their shenanigans. Um, you know, I could go on and on about what we've seen at Martinsville. The one thing we haven't seen yet, which hopefully we will in April, is a full-fledged night race. 
that's something I'm looking forward to. And um, we you know, got to see two races in one day. One we day. did. We did. And snow on the ground at the yes. same time. And, um, and that's one of the things that we're going to do with this podcast is we're going to, the tracks that we've been to, as we preview these races, we're going to tell you of some things that we've really enjoyed doing uh, at those tracks, at those race weekends. Uh, that's one of the things that we look forward to doing at the uh, on this podcast. And guys, I'll just wrap it up with this thought and you can comment on it if you want. Um, well, two quick things. First of all, don't forget, Truck Race, Friday night, 8 o'clock on FS1. Xfinity Championship Race, Saturday. Interesting start time, 5 o'clock Eastern Time uh, on NBCSN. And then the Cup Race, Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Mothership uh, on NBC. But my final thought is I think all three championships will be one or lost on pit road. Oh, well, good. You know, good point. Yeah. You look at look at look at Truex. Last year at uh, Homestead, we were there, and they put the front tires on the rear tires, and they oh, they, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. they flipped yeah. them. That pretty much sure handed did. that championship to Kyle <laughs> yeah. Busch. And then the last pit stop on Sunday, Truex. Up front, has a chance to win. Uh-oh, he's got a loose wheel. I think, and this is getting off topic just a little bit, but I think we've underestimated the loss of Cole Pern to that particular team. I think if Cole Pern had been the crew chief this year, I think you'd see the 19 in the Final Four. And just to add to that, like Larry Mack, I believe, used to say, if you're going to have trouble on pit road, have it early. Yep. We saw that bear out with the nine car this weekend. A couple of subpar stops, put him back in the field. Luckily, that car was good enough to drive up for that nine team. But uh, when the money stop happened, the 19 choked and the nine pulled it off. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be watching uh, Phoenix. None of us have been there, uh, so don't have a whole lot of advice. But uh, hopefully it'll be a good race. And uh, Yeah, I like the final four. I think it's going to be – I think they're, they're all four good drivers. Um, you know, I think we're going to see an interesting uh, – it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. We certainly appreciate uh, you joining us here for this first episode of Blind Spotters, coming to you loud and proud from the Cottle Creek compound right here off of Highway 3, the Dale Earnhardt Trail, headed from Mooresville to Kannapolis and back again as many times as you want. Hey, come by and see us one night. We're usually filming, not filming, but recording, recording, maybe filming one day, we hope. Um, but thank you for joining us. If you are joining us, uh, we hope that you will come back and have a listen to us again next time. Uh, for Blind Spotting, uh, I am Michael Culbreth, again, joined by Andrew Coates and Travis Sherrill. And we are so glad that you're here with us. And we look forward to talking again and sharing our thoughts with you. And, um, you know, maybe one of these days we'll do some call-ins, and we that would certainly be a lot of fun. Enjoy the races this weekend. Be a fan. Immerse yourself in it. Take some time. Just sit down. Watch the race. Have a good time. Let yourself be emotional and get into it. And uh, just uh, hope the weekend goes well for you and your family. And we will see you on the next episode of The Lion Spotting. River, yeah.